Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 192. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Thank you so much for tuning in again. I hope you had a great 2014 as we're coming up at the end of the year here. You're looking forward to a prosperous 2015. I know I'm excited about where this show is going and all the great guests we got coming up in the new year. And we're kicking it off uh, this uh, last show of the season, or first show of the season, however you want to look at it, with Mark Sanborn. And Mark Sanborn is one of my favorites. He was on the show a couple years ago. And again, he's just one of the great thought leaders in business and in life in general. He's not just a, a leadership in business, but just in life. He's just, uh, yeah, he's one of the, the best. He's an international best-selling author. He's written eight books, the best-selling Fred Factor and Fred 2.0, which are absolute must-haves if you're in, interested in learning more about leadership. I highly encourage you to go out and read those. They're go-tos for me. I, I refer back to them at least once a year. He's a, just a noted expert on leadership, team building, and he really specializes in customer service and change management. But again, he's an all-around, he's just one of those guys that really understands the basics of leadership, and that's really what we need to get back to. And In this conversation today, we talk about particularly kind of the difference between being a leader and doing a leader, because there's a there's a difference there. I think too often, you know, we say, yes, I want to be a leader. But we don't ask ourselves the, the hard question, why do we want to become a leader? Because if we're shooting towards position, title, money, salary, ego, whatever it is, um, it's just not really going to work out in the long run. You really have to answer those tough questions. Why do I want to become a leader? And if you understand your purpose and your and your why behind that, well, you're on the path towards great things. So that's the key to this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Um, take a listen. Here's Mark Sanborn. Well, Mark, gosh, it's been a long time. I haven't talked to you for a while. Thanks for coming on to the new show. How have you been? I've been great. I've been busy, and uh, life's been good. Finishing up a terrific uh, 2014 and looking forward to the year ahead. Well, you know, you've always been one of my favorite uh, thought leaders when it comes to the topic of leadership. And what thing I've always loved about you is kind of the, um, in, not only have you been doing it for so long, and I mean that in the most sincere way because I, I go to you all the time because you just, you talk about leadership in such a common sense uh, arena. And one thing I've always appreciated, especially with the listeners out there thinking, you know, I still find people not thinking that they're leaders. They think it has to be about position and title. And I know you that is one of your kind of uh, passions or pet peeves. Talk to me a little bit about how all of us kind of have a leadership obligation. We certainly all have a leadership opportunity. And at some base level, leaders are people who make things better. And I think that people confuse a uh, position and title with a purpose and a skill set. Now, there are Obviously, those leaders that you and I work with on a regular basis that are titled leaders, I work a lot with C-suite leaders, but anybody at any level in the organization, if they choose to, can lead. What they basically need to do is uh, pick the problem to solve or the opportunity to uh, take advantage of and then learn the skills that enable them to positively influence other people to join the, joining them in that journey to solve the problem or exploit the opportunity. 
You know, one thing I always appreciate about you is that is knowing the difference. And I've had to ask this question of myself many times of, you know, what the difference between being a leader and doing the leadership position. You know, we have to ask ourselves, why do we want the leadership position? Talk to me a little bit about that. That's one of my favorites, because Warren Bennis famously said many years ago, of course, he was a great leadership thinker, passed away uh, in the, the past, uh, past maybe 18 months. He uh, said at one time when he was briefly the president of the University of Cincinnati, he summarized his experience by saying, I realized I wanted to be a university president. I just didn't want to do university president. <laughs> right. You know, and that's the difference between uh, confusing the position with the uh, and, and the power with the obligation and the effort. And I think that today, and I frequently get phone calls, especially from younger leaders, aspiring leaders, what we sometimes call, you know, emerging leaders, and, and they'll say, I want to learn how to lead. And I say, well, that's great, but there's a far more important question that you need to answer first, and that is why. You know, why do you want to lead? And one of the things I'm writing about these days are the four to six questions every leader needs to be able to answer, and that's at the top of the list because a sense of purpose will give you focus. A sense of purpose will sustain you when the going gets uh, tough. A uh, sense of purpose will be your motivation because, uh, you know, there are certainly lots of challenging and hard aspects of leadership. And, of course, ultimately it's your purpose that gratifies you, you know, not just the results. I mean, we've all accomplished things in our lives that were significant but not particularly gratifying. And so when we know our purpose, uh, it's when that purpose is fulfilled uh, that we are, uh, I think, uh, most gratified. I also think that one of the things that's a point of confusion with many today is the difference between leadership and ambition. Right. You know, ambition is, and I have nothing against ambition. I'm a capitalist. I believe in free enterprise. I believe ambition is about trying to better yourself, to uh, to do more, to accomplish more. But ambition always serves the individual. Leadership always serves the greater good. So if you do something and you benefit from it, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but don't necessarily confuse that with an act of leadership unless your client or your colleague or your community or your organization has also benefited from your efforts. So ambition, I tend to think of as individual, but leadership has a much greater impact, and the ripples go out beyond the individual's efforts to accomplishing and leveraging more through the efforts of others that benefits some greater good. Yeah, you know, I've certainly been blinded by the ambition piece, and in the, if I had to be honest with myself, I think early on in my leadership career, I was that that led to a lot of problems in my leadership or at least a stagnation of it anyway because it wasn't authentic and it really wasn't until uh, i focused on adding value to somebody else's life and i know that I, i'm even kind of embarrassed to admit that but that really is what it's all about isn't it adding value to somebody else's life well i think leadership in particular and all business in general is always about adding value growing your value proposition and the million-dollar question of leadership that I always ask my clients is simple, and that is who or what is better because of you. You know, if people are the same because of you, maybe you've been a decent manager. If things are status quo uh, and you've been able to maintain them, then you certainly have been a good manager because menace, the word that became the root for manager, means to handle. But leadership is always about uh, positively affecting people and organizations so that they're better for the leader's efforts. So you're, you're exactly right. It's about adding value, building into the lives of other people, helping them become more than perhaps they thought they were capable of being, 
but but someone and something is always ultimately better because of the leader. So how do you do it? Um, you know, one thing that uh, I've found on this show, and it's I, I would probably say it's the overriding theme, you know, after two years of, of interviewing thought leaders like yourself, the one thing that consistently crops up is, is you know, dealing with setbacks, dealing with failures or whatever you want to call them. How do leaders do it? Because, you know, one thing that I've heard you talk about is so great is like, you know, you're the, the person that has to motivate yourself. How does the motivator motivate themselves? How do you deal with the setbacks or the, the adversity, if you will, as a leader? What is your technique? Well, I don't know if I have a singular technique, but I think, A, going back to what I said earlier, when you have a sense of purpose, a setback doesn't shut you down. Yeah, if, if your goal is short-term, if your motivation is shallow, then it doesn't take a whole lot of uh, resistance uh, before you just give up and, and cash in the chips. I think that it's being clear about your purpose, and I think it's also understanding that uh, nothing great was ever accomplished without uh, effort. I mean, you don't... <laughs> I know two people who have summited Mount Everest, and one thing I've learned is nobody ends up on top of Mount Everest by accident. Mm -hmm, right. You know, nobody's out. You know, I've never heard someone say, "You know, I was, I was walking, and, uh, I, I took a right turn instead of a left, and boom!" Before I know it, I'm on top of the highest peak in the world. And that's, of course, a nonsensical way to point out that you don't do anything really great or really significant without a great deal of planning, a great deal of education, uh, the development of skills, and a whole lot of hard work and effort. Uh, I also think that it's about having developed an inner life that uh, prepares you for some of the setbacks. A lot of leaders that I've observed are really good at the doing part of leadership and far less uh, developed on the being side of leadership, the thinking, the reflection, the the inner purposes and motivations. You know, the, the inner world sustains the outer world. Right. And if you don't have a haven't spent some time grappling with some of the the basic questions of life, then there there may come a point where you're very skilled at doing things, but you have no particular reason to do them, and you you get no particular satisfaction or gratification from doing them. Yeah, the marination piece is so critical. I mean, that's something I learned late, um, probably more so as I started doing this and talking to people like yourself. It's the, the marination, the introspection is so critical, and it's a step that that's often overlooked. I think. I know it was for me early on in my leadership career. So I really Lessons generally don't stick unless you take time to understand what happened. Yeah. You know, without reflection, you can waste a lot of experience. And, you know, they say experience is a great teacher, but that presumes that, that you're a great student. And if you don't take time to reflect, and I, I often uh, encourage people to do this, and I try to do it, and that is every week ask yourself, you know, what was the big lesson this week? Yeah. And that lesson more likely than not, came from something challenging, not a great success. I, I tell my audiences, we enjoy success, but we don't learn nearly as much from success as we do setback and failure. Right. And uh, that's what reflection is about. The problem is, when you're going 100 miles an hour with your hair on fire, there's not much space in your life to reflect. You know, you've got to, as a leader, make time for that. Or again, not to overstate the obvious, you end up burning out and most likely taking others with you. You know, every time I turn around, it seems like, and of course, I've, I'm maniacally passionate about leadership. I study, talk about it every day. You know, over your spanning career, are, are we in kind of a, um, is leadership kind of a, 
uh, a fad type thing. Every time I turn around, there's a new leadership book. What is your thoughts on that? Where are we at in terms of, of leadership as a whole in, in, in this perception anyway? Well, that's a big question. I would begin by saying that I don't have any uh, exhaustive historical research that can prove or disprove that we have better or worse leaders today than we've had in the past. I think it's fairly safe to say we've got more complex challenges than we've had in the past. I mean, that just makes sense when you think about the technology and and, and the development of, of, of the world around us. I, I think that... Uh, problem right now is that people confuse principles with, you know, philosophy du jour. Principles never change. Right. The only thing that ever changes is how you apply the principle. Uh, an example of that, and I don't know if you and I have talked about this before, Richard, but, you know, communication principles. Communication is about understanding and being understood. Communication is about communicating, whether it's verbally or, or in writing, in such a way that people do what you want them to do. Well, that principle hasn't changed, but certainly the mediums that we use, like email, you know, is a is a relatively new medium in the last 20 years. And being understood on email is much more difficult and different than being understood in person, is more difficult than being understood uh, when you're giving a speech. And so the principle doesn't change. And that's why I say, you know, build on the principles, but learn to apply those principles in different contexts. Now, there are always are going to be a lot of new leadership books, uh, you know, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, or whomever wrote the book, we're not quite sure, said, of the making of many books, there is no end. And that was before the printing press, so go figure. Uh, I think that a lot of leadership books, if you read a great deal, don't offer much new. Uh, and, and I'm not being critical, because I write books, and I've certainly written uh, a leadership book that is based on a relatively novel idea, but did I, uh, you know, impart anything that a truly learned and sophisticated leader had never heard before? I don't know. I'm not being critical, but I think that if you really are a student of leadership, one of the great challenges is the more you read, the harder it is to find things that really challenge you and deepen your knowledge. Mm -hmm. Because there's just a lot of things. You know, pick up any, go to go to a Barnes and Nobles, pick up five leadership books, and I guarantee you there'll be a chapter on vision, there'll be a chapter on communication, there'll be a chapter on integrity, there'll be a chapter on attitude, and these are all principles. So they're not bad. But it's just harder to find a new take. Um, Peter Thiel's new book on uh, Zero to One, which is not a leadership book, but it's a book uh, written for entrepreneurs, especially in the, uh, in the tech world. I found some really challenging concepts in there. And I don't even necessarily agree with all his conclusions. But I liked the way he uh, went beyond the obvious and challenged thinking and, and introduced some new ideas that I had not run across before. So I think when, when you're trying to teach leadership, you know, that's the dynamic tension is you want to make sure you build on the basics, the principles, but the danger there is is that they're too familiar to people. And that's why if you're speaking to a, a group of advanced leaders or, or experienced leaders, you have to go from, you know, uh, entry level to, to uh, uh, graduate level. Yeah, you know, I love that you said that. You're absolutely right that leadership principles, the way I look at it, is they just exist. They just are. And uh, they're there for our taking. They're there for our discovery. They're there for, I mean, they just, they're, they're almost like enable, enable rights. That's almost how I kind of look at it. They're just there for our discovery. Um, you know, I love that you, you're talking about books here. And, you know, one of my favorite and how I came across you years ago was obviously the Fred Factor. And then you got Fred 2.0 that came out. 
in 2013 in the spring. Great books. I mean, one of my favorite leadership books, and I say leadership book, but I'm going to ask you, did you, when you wrote it, was it a leadership book or was it more of a a life book? I mean, leadership is life, but I mean, it's not necessarily a leadership book, is it? The Fred Factor? Yeah. Well, you know, it's probably been bought more often than not as a customer service book, and certainly I'm grateful for anyone who buys my book, but I wrote it as as a business philosophy book, and you could kind of expand that and say, you know, organizational philosophy, but philosophy answers the question, how should we live? So business philosophy answers the question, how should we do business? And I just saw in this real-life story of my friend Fred Shea, you know, four principles that, that are applicable regardless of where you live or what you do or what industry you're in. So when I wrote the book, I, I wasn't trying to write a, a, a philosophy book like, uh, you know, a, a Hegel or a Kant or, a, you know, a Marx or, you know, some kind right. of heady philosophy that you'd have to have a college degree to understand. I was trying to write a, a business philosophy book for the common man and the common woman, of which, you know, I am a common person myself. I, I'm a big fan of Clint Hurdle, uh, who says, you know, every day he says, he prays, Lord, make me a simple man in a complex world. So I try to decomplexify your, you know, I try to make things as simple as possible, but no simpler. So I did write the book, uh, The Fred Factor, and and later Fred 2.0, first and foremost as a a business book, a kind of a a, a fun philosophy. But in Fred 2.0, I think I recognized because of all of the feedback over the intervening years, how many people uh, on their own initiative either saw or, or took the opportunity to, to apply those principles personally. And I realize that there's nothing that prevents one as a parent from using all four of those principles or as a spouse or as a community leader or as a, a member of a church or a synagogue. So I would say truth is transferable and smart people find good ideas where they find them and then figure out a way to apply them in their lives. Yeah. Well, they're two of my favorite books. I mean, it's, it's a go-to, and I, I love uh, revisiting it at least once a year, and, and um, I can't say enough about the books. You know, we're well, coming, up, coming up on the new year. What's new for you? I mean, it's a good time to reflect and to, to look at where we're at as leaders and what we can do. What advice would you have for us out there? Well, first, I'm grappling with and writing uh, on those questions that I think are so important. And, of course, in the process, you know, I'm asking those questions of myself. One of the things that I find interesting is we always assume that the way we answer a question, you know, is the same now as it was five or ten years ago. And, of course, that isn't true. You know, we change, we grow, we mature, we have different interests. And so I think we have to kind of revisit the classic questions to see what's different and how we need to adjust. I'm also looking at and and very interested in in building out this idea about what's really different about leadership. Uh, Warren Bennis, who we talked about earlier, said, I can now say without hyperbole, I can now speak without hyperbole about the death of leadership. And what's funny is he said it in 1999. Uh He then went on to write a few more books on leadership. So he might not have been saying it with hyperbole, but I'm not sure he really believed it uh, once he said it. I'm more interested in... uh, what's changed about leadership, and the reality is is it's not the death of leadership, it's the death of followership. Because I find that today, most adults, especially millennials, don't look at the word follower as a particularly positive word. Just like servile is related to a servant, is related to service, we, we don't want to, in a customer service uh, role, be treated like servants. We 
don't want to be servile. We do want to serve the customer. Right. So people kind of push back against that aspect of service. In the same way, I think people don't particularly want to be called followers. They want to be called and treated like collaborators or team members or contributors or colleagues. And that doesn't mean that they have radically different roles, although there are obviously a few changes. But what it does is it changes the way we think about the relationship between the leader and others. And because of, of you know, hundreds of years of this baggage of leader-follower, power-up, power-down, thinker-doer, I, I think it's time to really seriously get past the semantics. This isn't just a, a play on words. It's a way of thinking about the people who you lead in ways other than the historical follower role, because we expect people to do a lot more than simply follow our lead. I mean, to that degree, the role of leadership is different. We still have a great need for leadership, and one of the things that keeps me awake at night is what I think is a tremendous failure of leadership in our political system in the United States. Right. And, uh, you know, if I touched on any any one example, uh, people would instantly become enraged and get partisan. But, you know, I, I really, when I write, whether it's my social media or anywhere, I work overtime to not associate my commentary with labels like conservative, liberal, libertarian, Republican, Democrat, because if someone violates a leadership principle, it doesn't matter what party they belong to or what their ideology is. I mean, violation of leadership principles does not serve our country when it happens uh, at any level uh, in politics. And it seems like, and again, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but it seems like uh, the, the courage of conviction has been trumped by the uh, enthusiasm for popularity. Uh, we just have created this catch-22 that says, you know, if you really want to stay in office, you, you can't take too much of a stand, but if you don't take too much of a stand, then we want to throw you out of office anyhow because you didn't accomplish anything. I, I don't have a lot of solutions. I personally think the two-party system is irreparably broken. I think that uh, I don't know that anything will change in my lifetime. I hope I live a lot longer, you know, but who knows? I, I just think that we, we have this quandary of a, a real lack of, of leadership on some important issues. I also think that uh, TV and the soundbite has, uh, has trumped substance and wisdom. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, we, I, I'm amazed at the platform we give people. Pe people are entitled to their own opinions, but uh, as the saying goes, you're not entitled to your own facts. And stating falsehoods and, and lies and spin as fact is, in my opinion, it's close to the unforgivable sin and leadership as one can get. But, regrettably, I see it happen every time I turn on the TV, which is why I'm increasingly turning the TV on less and less. I'm with you on that, and it's uh, it's almost an epidemic, and it's you're, you're touching a lot of things that I'm very passionate about, too. And it seems like, what do you do at, when you're sitting at our level? What can you do? What change can you affect? Because you're right, it is all about the perceptions, the image, the spin. Well, we, we really, I think, we, we try to, if, you're, if you have a public platform, you try to do two things. One, you, you want to preach to the converted, and sometimes people act like that's a bad thing, but, but people who believe and think correctly need to be rewarded and encouraged because we live in an age where, you know, a lot of foolishness uh, uh, seems to be taken more seriously than, than, like I said, substance and wisdom. So in a way, we do preach to the converted, but I also think we need to give them the tools they need to positively influence others 
I think we also need to to state uh, positions in such a way that the people who are in the middle, the people who who have not committed to to the right, the wrong, the good, the bad, however you want to frame it, the thinking people will examine those thoughts and and make at least an informed decision. I, I don't have a problem at any level with someone who disagrees with me, but I do have a problem with people who disagree with me and who are uninformed. Yeah, amen. Uh, I think it's our responsibility, especially when we vote, to be informed and not just be voting out of, of sheer intellect or because we saw a TV commercial that, that angered or, or riled us. I think we need to be informed. And then uh, finally, I, I think we need to balance Whatever uh, our decisions are, the intellect with with the heart, because uh, we can't go uh, through life treating people like things, and and, uh, we've got to treat people like people, and and we've got to keep the humanity in leadership. But boy, it's it's a mucky mess right at the moment. Oh, isn't it? Amen to that. But you know, that's one thing I love about you and talking to you. It is about the pursuit of the truth. It's about the pursuit of common sense. At At some point, something does have to change, and I think what I'm a firm believer of is that that opportunity does rest with us. I mean, we all have an opportunity to influence and change more than we give ourselves credit for, I think. I think the more that we look towards egocentric leaders or this larger-than-life figure or someone like the Lone Ranger to come in to save the day and solve our problems, the moment we can stop believing that that that's the answer to the solutions, at least that's a start anyway. And and, um, I love what you said. Everything is just spot on. And again, that's one of the reasons why I'm such a huge fan of your work. So one thing I've always wanted to know about you as we wrap up here, um, who, if you could have the ultimate dinner party and you could invite five people, I never really knew who your heroes were, but if you could invite one night only, live or dead, five people, invite them to dinner, just have this great conversation, who would those people be and why? That's a great question. And uh, I've actually thought about, I haven't made up a a dinner invitation list, but... um, (laughs) I, and I also don't want to sound clicheish, but but I am a Christ follower, so I would I would begin with uh, with Christ. I mean, I, you know, he is ultimately for for my worldview, my ultimate moral and and uh, philosophical and spiritual authority. I would then uh, probably invite, uh, interestingly, two dead Brits. One would be C.S. Lewis. The other oh, would be G.K. Chesterton, who uh, were almost contemporaries, but not quite. Um, I would probably then that would leave me with two more people. And certainly, um, I guess, because I mentioned him earlier, he's top of mind. I I have been given this a great deal of thought, but Peter Thiel, who uh, is uh, the guy that uh, made his first fortune, I believe, on uh, PayPal and is now involved in uh, some some other undertakings. And uh, for my fifth and final person, wow, you know what? I would, uh, (laughs) I'm going to be sneaky. I would uh, would would uh, run some kind of a contest among the people that read and follow my work and uh, make a uh, a wisdom of the crowd decision and say uh, of, of all the people currently living I would restrict it to that because history is pretty broad yeah. uh, you know who, who who should I invite and why so that would make it kind of an interactive activity but I'd probably start with uh, I would start with those four. That's a great list. I love that. It's always fun to dance. I ask that question to see what, what where people at and and what they value, and it says a lot about you. And again, I can't say enough about uh, you having come, come having you come back on the show. And oh, well, my uh, pleasure. Well, thanks for inviting me back. I mean, I appreciate what you do, and you've been doing great work, and, and your uh, your impact continues to grow. And I'm delighted to see that. Well, where can people find you? How can people 
connect with you, uh, give a quick plug out to, to where they can connect with you. Well, MarkSanborn.com is the mothership, as I like to call it, of all our websites and kind of the central clearing uh, house for for finding me on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and all those other places. And it's just M-A-R-K-S-A-N-B-O-R-N, MarkSanborn.com. That's the easiest place to start. Mark, what a thrill and honor to have you back on the show. And um, again, I look forward to uh, staying in touch with you and uh, having you back at some later date. Again, thanks for, thanks for your time. Well, I'd love to do that. Thank you. Man, I love talking to Mark Sanborn. He's so fun to talk to. And I, my big takeaway from this conversation was, again, focusing on the purpose and the why, right? That's what's going to help sustain us in this difficult task of being a leader. And that's what it's about, about doing the difficult task. It's not about the position. It's not about the title. It's understanding why do we want to become leaders in the first place. And if we know what that is, and for me, it's got to be we, we have to be adding value to somebody else's life. We have to go into it with the attitude thinking, I'm going to make this person's life better by interacting with me. And that's not egocentric, not in an egocentric way, but in a truly selfless way, a sacrificial way on how we're going to make this life better. That's what it means to be a leader. And again, I hope that's kind of my takeaway from talking with Mark Sanborn. Go check out his site, MarkSanborn.com. Go check out his book, Fred Factor and Fred 2.0. Great books to have in your library and go to for uh, helping you in your leadership journey. Again, you can check out more at uh, my website too, doseofleadership.com or richardryerson.com. I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line. Let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. You can find out more about my speaking, my coaching, and of course my online leadership course, Becoming a Leader, where you can uh, take part and watch my 20 videos and helping you in your leadership journey as well. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.